0: Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento, and man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it, so get ready to receive from God today. Good morning, Project Church! Yes! I thought I'd get a standing ovation. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, it's, it pays to um, hire your dad to compliment you, right? Your father-in-law? Just kidding. Just kidding. He's so nice. Um, How's everybody doing today? It's It's a packed house today, and I think, did you all know that it was a new series? Yes, okay, that's why you're all here, right? I'm just kidding. Um, well, hey, I'm excited about this series. Um, we're taking a break from our um, walk through Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, um, and we plan to for the next couple of years through the book of Mark. But we're going to take just a four- to five-week break here, and we're going to be jumping into the elephant room, the elephant room. And this morning we get to talk about the Gospel and women's empowerment. How many people are excited? The girls are <laughs> But I, I just want to talk about this concept about the elephant room for just a moment. Um, I often think about the elephant in a room, you know, it kind of just squelches any conversations because people don't want to be offensive or they don't want to say something wrong, right? Um, and, and when there's an elephant in the room, everything gets just a little awkward, right? just a little awkward. And now, not just do they get awkward, but when you throw contentious issues out into a room, um, yeah, it just gets even more awkward and almost suffocating. You're like, somebody get me out of this room. Have you ever been in a room where people have been in a fight or you know that they unfriended one another on Facebook and they're like, oh my gosh, they're in the same room. What are they gonna do, right? I've been in those places. There's an elephant in the room. But you see the problem with not bringing up the elephant in the room is that there's an elephant in the room, right? And what happens when there's an elephant in the room, I think what happens perceptually is that we're unable to see other people for who they actually are. We're unable to hear each other for the words that they're actually saying. And I think that we can go even as far as saying we're unaware of what their hearts actually are, and the position that their hearts are actually in if we avoid all the elephants in the room. And we're in a place where we can no longer know one another and see one another for how God created one, of us, one another. And so, you know, I actually recently sat down with a friend who had not yet received or accepted Christ into her life. But I didn't know that. Okay, um, and I don't know if you've heard Caleb preach and talk about how I'm the person at dinner with people for the first time, and I'm like, what party do you subscribe to? You know, like politics, let's talk about it. You know, and he's like, "Chrissy, what are you doing? We're trying to make friends, and why are you talking about politics? Like, they're not going to like us, and that's just awkward. And I'm like, I just want to know. I truly just want to know like where, where, where they stand on this or that. And so I've gotten better, but in this situation, I didn't get much better. Um she didn't I didn't know that she wasn't a professing Christian. So here I, I was going, like, what church do you go to? And she's just like, um, I, I don't go to one. So then my brain's going, oh, okay, maybe she just is in transition for a church. She's looking for a church. She can come to our church, you know. And, and so I'm like, so how long have you known Jesus? And she's just like, you know, I don't actually know what that means. And I go, <laughs> so, you know. And I'm just kind of walking backwards. And then my brain, I'm retreating because I'm like, okay, I'm awkward. Why did I ask all those questions? And then there was a moment where it's just like, okay, let's keep be normal. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about other things. We can talk about other things. And then my brain was like, well, don't say that. And don't say that. Cause that's offensive because she's not actually a Christian, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And there's this filter that came over me and it was just a little awkward. And I realized that even my belief in Jesus and me understanding the good news of the gospel could potentially be offensive to someone who did not know him and i think that we need to understand that elephants in the room are much like the gospel and how offensive it can be to people who do do not know jesus who do not have the same faith as you and so <clears throat> the gospel can be offensive Listen to this in Mark 1, 14 through 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. You know, all the Christians are rejoicing. Yay, yay, Jesus is here and the word's saying it. And then it says, repent and believe the good news. I mean, how awkward is it, really, if you think about it? You're telling someone that if they repent their sins, deny themselves of you know their own life and what they perceive as happiness. They they might be able to. They, they can go to heaven, but until then, they're you know they're destined for eternal hell. You know, want to be my friend? That's that's pretty much what you're saying. Like you're probably gonna go to hell, but I believe in this, and here's the good news. Uh, but let's be friends. And then if you do believe in this thing that I believe in, like come to my church and then get dunked in like this weird small tank. And then it represents you being a new believer. We're born again. You know, like that's weird to some people and a little bit offensive in some some ways. And so, you know, you you present the gospel and it's like, want to be friends? (laughs) And there's these moments of awkward filtered moments. But thankfully, I want you to know this, that Because I didn't retreat, I felt like God called me to take a risk, and that's what Christians have the opportunity to respond with. Either you can retreat when you're presenting the gospel, and you can retreat to the culture that we're in, or you can risk. Our speaker last week said that faith is spelled risk, R-I-S-K. And I believed even with this friend that I was having coffee with for the first time, we were just getting to know one another, God was saying, risk, ask the questions. I led you to ask that question. And I want you to understand that I actually asked her to come to church on Easter Sunday. And I remember there was a moment where I was just like, man, when was the last time I invited somebody to church and I am the pastor of this church? And I'm not saying just inviting somebody who who I know is a Christian and inviting them because they don't have a church home, so maybe they can come here. I'm talking about somebody who does not know Jesus, does not believe or subscribe to the same thing that I do. When was the last time we asked them to come to church and experience the life-changing power and presence of Jesus? I was challenged in that moment to risk, risk my comfort of being known as that weird, crazy pastor Christian. And so because I did, I'm happy to report to you that my dear friend, who's become a very, very dear friend, not only came to know the Lord, but her husband came to know the Lord and her children are serving God. And I'm telling you right now, That we are called to take a risk. We're called to take a step of faith because it's not about our comfortability. It's about people coming and being confronted with the presence of God so that their life can forever be changed like our lives have been. And so it's important that we talk about these elephant in the room issues. But let me tell you this right now, that we can't just talk about issues. Because if we're only talking about issues, then the elephants in the room are just trampling on us, and it's going to kill our faith. It's going to kill our faith, and our faith is going to be in what we believe our issues to be instead of believing the gospel and seeing our issues through the filter of the gospel, the issues are supposed to bring us back to our attention, back to Jesus, not distract us from our faith. And I'm afraid, and we see it and we read about it on Facebook in conversations, on dumb posts where we are arguing and we're just going on and on about these issues and we're not bringing it back to the gospel and what the word and the truth of God is saying about these issues so that people might come to know the good news. So that's the goal this week and in the weeks following that these issues are going to be talked about. These questions are going to be answered. But the way that we can do this is by approaching these issues with grace and truth. I think you've heard Caleb talk about this at times, but there what what we need in this society and what we need in this culture is grace and truth. We need grace to to let people know that this truth, you know, you may not subscribe to it and you've made mistakes and you're going to fall short, but there's grace in Jesus name. And then there's also um, truth. We need to say the truth to people. We need to give people the truth of the gospel. But if we give only truth without the grace, then the truth is going to crush you. And we don't want to crush people. We're not called to crush people. And sometimes Christians, I'm sorry, but when we are trying to say that the gospel is offensive, we say it's okay to be offensive and crush people with the truth. But that's not Okay. It's not okay, and only one person walked this earth with 100% truth and 100% grace, and that's Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can allow that to be manifest in our life is, I'm telling you this right now, you're not going to be 100% truth and 100% gracious. We're human. It's impossible. But we can, we can, this can be fleshed out with compassion. When humans When our, when mankind can subscribe to the gospel and say, God, I'm reliant on you for the truth and the grace that I need, then he can infuse that into us and then we can deliver different conversations and have, and make conversations and have, conversations with other people and communicate in such a way that's filled with truth and grace, but it's going to look like compassion, church. It's going to look like compassion. So as we address these questions and these answers, we need to address it and attack it with great compassion. That's what Jesus has called us to. And so this morning, as we talk about and compassionately talk about women's empowerment, we're also recognizing that women's empowerment is not just a man versus woman issue. This is an issue of the gospel. This is an issue of expanding the kingdom in the name of Jesus. And so we can't get away from that this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go, here we go. So one of the main questions that people have asked me and Caleb and they almost scratch their heads at the idea of me preaching. And they're like, wait, isn't the God you serve like chauvinistic though? Like, wait, you guys lead alongside of each other. I'm confused because the, the God that I know and the Bible that I read about and that everybody's talked about is super chauvinistic. And I actually often question, why does God hate women so much? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard society and this culture say that, you know, the, the Bible's chauvinistic, there's no place for women. And, you know, it, it's really wild to me because I, I believe that if you, Either women are stupid, and I don't believe they are because I don't believe that I'm stupid. But, but 60 of all people who call them, themselves Christians are women. So I, I really don't believe women are that stupid. Okay, I don't. I mean, mankind is a little stupid. But like we, no, no, not men. Mankind, men and women fall. Okay, come on, careful. You know, I'm not. I'm not here to bash men. But I, I'm just saying, all humans. You know, we can be dumb sometimes, but I don't think 60% of Christianity is, you know, we're practicing Christians. Women, 60% of practicing Christians are women. And so I want us to realize that I don't think that this is a man versus woman issue. Again, this is a kingdom issue. This is a, an issue of biblical interpretation. So there's a lot of different schools of thought on the way you interpret some of the scriptures that we're going to read this morning. But I don't want to camp on that just, just yet. I do want to say this, though, that the Bible promotes men and women leading together and working together. That was his original design, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more. And if, you, if you're taking notes and you're like, well, I want you to really dig, dig. We don't really have time for all of that, but I do want to recommend three scholars and um, theologians that you can look up. N.T. Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, N.T. Wright, Craig Keener, and Scott McKnight. Um, I've read many of their books, and they do a really fantastic job on biblically inter- interpreting the Bible, as it relates to some of these scriptures that are contentious um, in Christianity. But I do want to say this, that I believe that the Bible promotes men and women working together. Jesus is the head, and then we each have our part to play. We each have our part to play, but let me let me also. I don't want to move forward without saying this: that um, some people are like, well, you know what? The Bible was written during super patriarchal times, and um, you know, I, I, it was very chauvinistic back then. So any of the verses where Paul is saying this or that, like we just need to throw those out because it doesn't make sense with our culture. And I want to say I, that's so far from the truth. I believe the complete Word of God is the infallible Word of God and has all power and authority. And I don't believe that we should remove any anything, that even Paul, that you might be like, hmm, what does he mean by that? Let's just throw it out because it's not in context with our context. It's not the same as our context. No, I would just want, want you to dig deeper and understand the true biblical interpretation of the, and the original intent of some of these writers. That is what I would, um, would encourage you on. Don't throw out anything, okay? Let me just encourage you. Do not throw out anything. That's why we're doing a series like this because we're not throwing out anything, We're not throwing out anything we believe the Bible to be our true guide. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's our core value that the Bible is our guide. So we're not throwing anything out. But I do want you to understand there are people who have biblically interpreted the the Bible and they have abused women through their interpretations. But this is what St. Augustine says. He says this, never judge a philosophy by its abusers. Never judge a philosophy by its abusers. And I want you to hear this, that the cultures and societies that have abused women and have given them a lower status, um, actually Christianity and its ethics has elevated the status of women. And I want to illustrate this in three ways. If you're taking notes, number one, one way that Christianity and its ethics has elevated the status of women is that um, it, Christian ethic declared equal worth and value for both men and women. Because there was a time where Romans were in rule and there was a, um, something instituted called patria potestas. Patria potestas. And this mandated and gave men absolute power of life and death over his family, including his wife. Okay, so at a time that Christian was kind of coming on the scene, the Roman rule was that men could really, if they were sick of their kids, sick of their wife, they could just desert them, leave them, even kill them. They had all authority. And then here comes Christianity where it's saying, husbands, you are commanded to love your wives and do not exasperate your children. Do not do not provoke your children. So when Christianity came on the scene, it obliterated something like the patria potestas and and said no more do men have direct authority to kill female without any consequences thank god that christianity came on the scene some of you women should be saying amen all right so that's one way that that christianity has elevated the status of women number 2 the biblical view of husbands and wives as equal partners caused a sea of change in the marriage in marriages in general christian women Later, um, as as Christianity went on, started to erode the practice of being promised to a certain man that your family wanted you to marry. Some women in this room have got to say Amen that you don't have to marry the man that you're. You have. Liberty—you have liberty to choose. And a lot of the Western cultures that have subscribed to Christianity, who followed Christianity, to in the majority are starting to—we're starting to realize, okay, I actually have freedom to choose. Here, number three, Christianity ethics promote monogamous relationships. In in general, most of society um, <clears throat> before Christianity came on the scene. Husbands were able to have multiple wives, but then Jesus and his teachings said one man to one woman, one woman to one man. Men and women say amen in this place. Amen? Um, Amen. So thankfully Christianity has elevated the status of women. He has elevated the status of women. So as the the result of Jesus Christ and his teachings, women and much of the world today enjoy more privileges and rights than they ever would have in all of history. It takes only... A, a trip to some Arab countries to realize that those countries that have not been influenced as much by Christianity are women are more oppressed than they are in areas where churches and Christianity has, and the gospel has been spread. Those women and in those in, Christ, in countries where Christianity has been exposed, they are more free today than some of those other countries. We are not oppressed. And thankfully, because Jesus is about freedom. Jesus is about freedom. That's why Project Church exists. We're here to lead all people to life and freedom in Jesus. There's freedom in Jesus and Jesus gave us freedom. And I want to submit to you one more time, Christianity actually is the best thing that has ever happened to women in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament by the way that God um, protected the women, and in the way in the New Testament the way Jesus treated women, Jesus treated women well. You see him with women who who followed his teachings, who were his disciples, who who God trusted to be the person and the number one first eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus, which was Mary. I mean, come on, you guys. The whole gospel hinges on her account. And so we're thankful for that, thankful for that. Christianity is the best thing that happened to women. So let's just jump in here to this women's empowerment, feminism in the church, right? Um, How many people here would call themselves, I can't see very well, who would call themselves a feminist? Okay. And I think that, unfortunately, not that many people know the actual definition of feminism. So when I read the actual definition of feminism, some of you may raise your hands. Definition of feminism, the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. I mean, if you believe in equal pay, you're a feminist. If you believe that young girls have the same right as young boys to education, you're probably a feminist. And if you're going to advocate that, you're probably a feminist. But unfortunately, the culture has distorted the definition of feminism. And now the definition of this culture's feminism is not just the advocating of women's rights, but then the disadvocating of men's rights and also saying that we can domineer over or now we're entitled to or now we can be man hating. That's the spirit of feminism and that's a very prominent um, spirit that was present in Paul's day and age and it was the goddess of Artemis which, do you know what the goddess of Artemis was about? It was about domineering over men. So you better believe that some of these scriptures that we read and we'll get to them, that Paul is talking about, he is combating the, the goddess of Artemis and I believe that the god of a goddess of Artemis and the spirit of domineering over men is permeating our culture today. And so we need to recognize that there is this feminism, this feminism that is killing, that is killing the call of the kingdom. It's killing the call of the kingdom. And I really believe that today we as a church need to continue to empower women without fear of that spirit of the culture's feminism. And I truly believe that when we attack these questions and these issues with, with, with compassion, that we're also going to be countercultural, because there's a definition of feminism, but there's a culture of feminism today. And we as Christians and Christ followers have got to be counter cultural. We've got to be counterculture. So as a church, we are going to continue to empower women. And why? why are we going to continue to empower women? Number one, it's because God created women to be a solution. I've said this a lot and we're gonna keep on saying it. Women, if you ever thought that you were a problem, if you ever thought that you were an accident, men, if you thought your wife was an accident or ever a problem of your daughter was a problem or wasn't, you weren't as blessed to have a daughter because you didn't have a a, man, you you didn't have a son, I wanna tell you right now, you are not a problem, women. You are a solution. You are a solution. Here's the thing. and it's an important principle before we move on because I'm going to touch on some scriptures in Genesis. But what I have seen happen is that chauvinistic um, people who have studied scripture, they tend to to build their entire theological system based on single verses. But as I read the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, all I see is a God and a, and, and his son Jesus that promotes women and is pro women from Genesis to Revelation. So don't make the mistake of taking a, one scripture and blowing it out of context. We've got to understand the context in, under, in order to understand the word of God that was left for us. And so so in Genesis, we see that the first problem with humanity was man's loneliness. And women were created women. You were created as a solution to man's loneliness. Husbands in the house, would you say Amen? Too often we've seen ourselves as a problem, but in Genesis 2:18 it says, and if you guys could throw this up, on the screen. Then the Lord said, It's not good that the man should be alone. That is a problem. And it it's not good that the man should be alone. That's the problem. I will make for him a helper fit for him. A helper fit for him. You know what the word helper means? The he- word helper means Azer. It, it means, it, it's translated in Hebrew as Azer, which is also translated in the definition of Azer, is the rescuer. Women, you have rescued. The men from despair and loneliness and cold nights, right? And companionship you gotta say amen come on I'm thankful for that and so listen you are Azar you are a helper you are a rescuer and the same name that was ascribed women is the same name that is ascribed God our Father in the Psalms that helped David in the depths of his despair and that helped David when he was in the face of his enemies and he said God my help God my you must help me right now. So women, if you start relegating yourselves as just the helper who just helped, I'm here to help my husband. I'm here to serve my husband. Which you do. You need to. I still do. And I still will. But don't relegate yourself to just that. You are also God. I. You are also my husband and my man. You. I am here to help you. I am here to serve you. I am the same. I have the same spirit living in me that helped Help David in the pit of his despair and in the face of his enemies. We are rescuers. We are helpers. Women, can you say amen? Men, can you say amen? (laughs) Men, what does that mean for you? It means that you have a help. You have a help and you're not alone. And you don't have to do this alone. And you know what? Maybe there's been some women in your life. And then you have not seen them as a help, but you would just remember and you call out in them their destiny. And you prophetically say to women who have felt less than that. You say, I see you, woman. I see you're you going to be my help. You're going to be my help and you're going to save this company. You're going to save this school. You're going to save this house from despair because your mere presence is in this room. That's what men, we've got to rise up to the occasion to Call out the good that we see in the women because for far too long, women have not heard from the men in their house, the men in their lives, and they need to hear that they are needed. And that's okay. Um, Women, that's okay. It's okay if men are encouraging you. You don't have to be the woman who has it all together and who's just like, oh, I got it. I don't need nobody. Yeah, you don't have to have that attitude. Calm down. Why do you think people are so irritated by us? Let's go. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So women, what I think it means for you is that you need to rise up and be the helper and the rescuer that you are called to be. God created you on purpose for a purpose with a purpose. Rise up and be everything that you are supposed to be. Don't shy away from that voice that's inside of you that's timid. God's calling it out of you. And he's saying, come on, let's go. There are people who are desperate to hear your voice, including men who need to be encouraged by you. Because for far too long, especially in this culture right now, we're saying the future is female. No, I believe that the future is female and male. The future is female and male. If we get to that point, women, be careful. You feminist women, you women who call yourselves a feminist. I call myself a feminist. Let's not get carried away to the point where we're trampling over our men. Let's start honoring the men of the house. Let's start honoring the men in our lives. Let's start honoring the men who don't honor us. And women, let's start, men, let's start honoring the women who don't honor us. You just watch what happens when you honor. It changes everything. Okay, number two. Number two, why should we as a church empower women? Because God created women to lead with men. I'm just saying the same point, just in different ways. God intended for women to lead with man. Genesis 1.26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God God, a father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, let us make man, men and women, in our image, according to our likeness. Let them, let them, man and woman, them, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let them have dominion. It didn't say let men have dominion and then the women can help. It didn't say women, you do it and then the men can help. No, it says let them have dominion over the earth. He called us, man and woman, to work together. And if we can just get it, if we can just understand that we're here together as brothers and sisters in Christ to work together, alongside one another to make this world a better place then we could make much more progress I truly believe that and I know we say that every every wedding that Caleb and I officiate we do say this that man woman was pulled out of the side of man not out of the head of the man because so that that she can lord over over men And no, she wasn't pulled out of the the foot of the man so that he could trample on her forever. No, it was the side of the man so that we can always understand that we are equal parts and we're side by side called to work together. That was the original design that God had. And you see it in Old Testament and New Testament, you're like, ah, oh, this is like New Testament stuff, Chrissy, like after Jesus died and rose again. No, we see Deborah, who was a judge. We see Esther, who was called for such a time as this, and she was the queen of the kingdom and changed the course of history for Israelites. And it's changed our history as Christians because of what Esther did when she was reigning. And in the New Testament, we see Priscilla and Aquila, the, the husband husband and wife, going out and and preaching the good news. And Phoebe, who was sent out by Paul to be a minister of the gospel, in in so many ways, a missionary. And then we see Mary and Martha serving, being right next to Jesus, his whole ministry. This is what women are called to do and lead alongside men. So why don't don't women always lead alongside men? Why do some churches not believe in women leading alongside men? I do wanna talk about, a couple verses, but before I do, I want you to understand this, that there's something that we all get tripped up on and it's Ephesians 5. And it says, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. And everybody's like, good with that. Like, I'm good with that. I'm totally 100% good with that. And it's great because even some people who see me up on here preaching, they're like, oh, well, that works for her because she submitted to her husband. And I can subscribe to that because she's submitted to her husband, godly man. And then what happens for single women, for divorced women, and what happens for widowed women? Are they disqualified because they don't has, have husbands? And I want you to know right now, and some women in this room need to hear this. You are not disqualified from the work of the Lord because you do not have a spouse. You know, it even says Paul, Paul even says that, you know, single, it's better to be single so that you have the energy and you don't have the distraction of a husband. When, when, you know what, guys, my husband's gone and I only have three kids to worry about. When my husband's here, I have three, and four, four kids. So that, he's not a kid, but you have another person to take care of. You know, I'm just saying, say I'm not passionate husbands. Okay, let me just hear. I'm just saying that there's more, there's distraction. I need a love on my husband. I need to serve my husband too. But I want to tell you, sisters who don't have a spouse, you have a lot more time and energy and less distraction to do the thing and the things and the work of the kingdom. You are not disqualified because you don't have a husband. Amen. And so... Let me get back to it. Why doesn't men? Why do men sometimes not want women to lead in the church? There's a couple verses that trip us up. First Corinthians 14:34. It says this: "Women should remain silent in the churches." I should put the mic away now, or mic drop. We, one of the two, just kidding. <laughs> they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, but must be in submission." Now, I don't want you to hold that thought. And then let's go over to First Timothy 2:11 through14. "A woman should learn in quietness and full. Submission and full submission. Again, it's this word submission that pe- I, th- I believe people have a hard time with. It's like, oh, gosh, wives submit to your husbands. That means that, you know, I, women, we just have to submit. Can I just tell you this right now? Wives submit to your husbands, but no, it doesn't say women submit to all men. That, that's just one thing that you also have to recognize, which is why, women, you are not disqualified if you don't have a husband. But 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 there's this there's this thing that happens when we read these verses and we take them out of context but let me bring it back to context and remind you about this goddess Artemis and this and this group of women in this day and age who are just wanting to domineer over husbands and men and in a time where they actually weren't afforded the education that some of the men were and so they're calling out and they're shouting out in, in these in these tabernacles where you're hearing the word of the Lord read and they're being a distraction and you can tell that they have another agenda because they're wanting to worship this goddess Artemis who is wanting to domineer over the men. So of course Paul's going to correct them, right? Of course Paul's going to correct them. But I want you to understand that there's there's a, there's a great word in here, submission, as, uh, as much as we've hated that word, it's a great word for us today in this place. It says they are not allowed to speak but must be in submission. So guess what? I'm in submission and I'm gonna speak. Do you, do you see what just happened there? They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. I believe that to say that we are in, when we're submitted to God, the God who created us and the God who died for, who sent his son to die for men and women, I believe that have all authority and power to speak and share the gospel. Because it says also in Corinthians that there's no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female. They are all one in Christ. Every single one of us in this room who has received the gospel and received Jesus into their life has all power and authority to share the gospel. If you are worshiping Artemis, do not speak. Okay, and I don't believe some of you women are. We serve the God of the universe who created us to share the gospel and spread the good news and love people compassionately, counterculturally, and to change this world for Him. That's what we've been called to do, women. I believe the answer, the countercultural response to our feminist culture, is feminism in submission to the gospel. Women, we've got to be submitted to the gospel. Men, you've got to be submitted to the gospel if you're going to see women the way God sees them. And so we have got to be submitted to the gospel, but also recognize that we have all authority in Christ. We are co-heirs of the almighty creator, his son, Jesus. Amen. And so I want to just kind of end on this because I know we've, we, we talk about this verse in the Bible that trips us up a lot. Um, Ephesians five, twenty two. wives submit to your husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You know what? I think this is a great word, and this is going to be specifically for husbands and wives. This is our, this is the design that God has for us. And if we understand the, the, the mutual submission that we find in this, then we're gonna, I'm gonna read this uh, excerpt from, the, from a book that we're reading right now by David Platt and it's called Countercultural, Counterculture. And, um, and I think that it kind of, it, it really says these verses in plain terms, okay? So here's what he says. If we are harsh with our wives, Men, We will show the world that Christ is cruel with his people. If we ignore our wives, we will show the world that Christ wants nothing to do with his people. If we leave our wives, we will show the world that Christ deserts his people. So wives... If you disrespect your husband, you show the world that the church has no respect for Christ. If you do not pursue your husband, you show the world that he is not worth following. If you sleep around on your husband, you show the world that Christ is not satisfying enough for his people. The design that God has for man and woman, husband and wife, is all going to point back to Christ if we let it. I can have the keys come back up here. That would be great. I just want us to understand that the goal is not to figure out who's greater than the other, men or women. Honestly, I, I remember being so disappointed when I was in grade school, because I was gonna be the first woman in the, in, the, in the National Basketball Association, okay? I was gonna be the first woman to, woman to play in the, in, the, in the NBA. And then the WNBA came along and crushed every last dream of mine. Just threw it, threw it in the trash. I was so disappointed because I was like, "Oh, man, I was going to be the first woman." And I, I think that sometimes when we do this, we just want to we we want we want to almost start acting like men and being where men are as if there's something to achieve instead of celebrating who God created us to be and it's okay if we serve and it's okay because here's the thing Here's the thing, I, I am so submitted to my husband and I thank God for our differences because even as a young athlete growing up and, and recognizing that I played sports and so I did some things that the guys did, I re- realized pretty quickly that I'm glad that I never made it into the NBA. I am smaller and not as strong. It's okay that most of the men are stronger and faster and whatever. And if women, you're like a phenom, go ahead and just go whatever. But the goal is not to become the other or get to that level. The goal is that we see ourselves as a powerful woman and as a powerful man and when our forces combine we do powerful things for the kingdom. And the most powerful thing that we can do as Christ followers is to emulate Jesus to emulate Jesus and to point people back to Jesus we have to look more like Christ that's what we're called to we're sanctified so that we can reflect Jesus and show people who Jesus is men and women husbands and wives when you submit to God's design when and even the design of that he had in the garden for us to serve together when we submit to that we all get to reflect Jesus. Husbands, you get to reflect Jesus by by giving your life to the ch- to your wife the way that Christ gave his life to the church. And women, you get to submit like Jesus submitted to God and his plan to send us to send his son Jesus to die on this earth for his church. Like ch- women, we get to submit to our husbands the way that Jesus submitted to God. The goal it's to emulate Jesus. The goal is to spread the good news, the good news of who, who Jesus is. This is the goal. The gospel, women's empowerment without the gospel is just plain old ugly feminism. But women's empowerment with the gospel is God's kingdom design. And I want us to know in this room that when we can start seeing us or, or each other as powerful for the kingdom, we are going to reach more people for the kingdom, and this world will be changed. Because they're going to say, whoa, look at those brothers and sisters are enjoying one another. They love one another. They're not competing with one another. They're not comparing themselves to one another. They're just being exactly who God designed them to be, and they're working things out in unity. In unity, church, the unity of our body that's what we need you know I was at donuts with my kids on Friday and you know I was being a fun mom right I give my kids sugar sometimes right and so it was so funny because Kanan and Kai are in the same class they're like in this multi age class kindergarten through second grade and there was a girl who walked in with her mom and she walked in and she's in their class into the donut shop when she walked in, you, 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 you're you following me, right? Um, so so Kanan goes, Mom, she's in our class. And she got, like, really awkward. He's like, oh, my gosh, she's in our class. And then she was just like, oh, Mom, they're in my class. And they were just so awkward and so cute and just so, like, oh, what do I do? Boy, girl, you know. And I go, Kanan, what's her name? I don't know. You don't know her name and you're in her class. Kai, what's her name? I don't know. And they just got weird and didn't know how to act. Now, I know that's something that happens with what, six through eight year olds, and will maybe continue to happen if they wanna stay awkward. But <laughs> but I go, Kanan, Kai, just treat this girl like your sister, like you would treat Charlie. Ask her what her name is. Don't be weird. And here's the thing, Kanan and Kai would never treat they wouldn't see Charlie walk in the room and be like, "Oh, Charlie's in the room. No, it's their sister. It's their their sister. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? have to empower women the reason why we can't be weird between men and women the reason why we have to work together the reason why we have to do this kingdom building thing is together is because god wants to expand his kingdom and he needs us to start seeing each other like brothers and sisters in christ and when we're brothers and sisters of christ we see each other as family and we are about expanding the family of god that's expanding the kingdom of god and that is the mission of his church So, are you ready for this church? Are you ready to empower women? Are you ready to empower men? Are you ready to empower the next generation in kingdom business? Because that's what we're doing at Project Church. That's what we signed up for. That is what we're called to. And that is what we will be committed to in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, why don't you bow your heads in this place? I hope this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.